0: You just want to put on rubber gloves and stick your hands and and then notice that there's corn in the sink that you want to wash down the drain. And no matter how much water you pour in the different places to try and get the stream to move the corn into the hole, it just will not go no matter what.
1: Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port.
2: Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I- I'm fine. We're recording this in the evening, mm. which is different to what we usually do. We record in the morning, and we're having a little bit of a sunlight problem. Is it shining in your it eyes? It is shining in my mm. eyes. But then, if I close the curtains like this, mm. it's a bit too much. Like being in, you know, like a depressing bed sitting. I can it? barely see you. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll squint. Yeah. I'll squint. Thank you. Um, I was going to start by telling you um, about something that happened to me on public transport or that I witnessed on public transport probably more accurately. Mm. So I was sitting on the London Underground the other day and, you know, because I've lived in London 20 years, I conform to all societal norms. So what I do is just look down and don't make eye contact with anybody. But I am aware that there are two women next to me and I'm also aware that they're both eating soup
3: on the tube,
2: Yeah, because I can smell it. And I think it's a high-risk strategy in soup on, you know, a, a rickety train.
3: It's high-risk and it's antisocial, in my opinion.
2: I know what you mean, but it did smell good.
3: No, nothing smells good on the tube. No, this, this, this soup.
2: Really? Yeah, I, you know, I, if, I, if I was a braver man, I might have said, oh, can I have a spoonful?
3: <laughs> can, I, can I have a sip? <laughs> You should have didn't. done. So,
2: so, anyway, so I'm just looking down or looking at my phone or whatever I'm doing, and there are two women eating soup next to me, and I'm not really paying very much attention. Um, as my journey is almost over, I hear one of the women say, Yeah, you, you, what are you staring at? What are you staring at? Yeah, you're not staring now, are you? Looking down. And I think, Oh, God, does she mean me? I wasn't staring, I was just looking down all along. So I sort of look up. Yeah. Uh and she wasn't talking to me, she was talking to a she. man opposite who's like look got his head down and looks embarrassed. Oh and then she starts saying, Yeah, we saw you staring at us, but um we could talk about what we want. You might think it's disgusting, but it's just natural. We can talk about it. We're not being judged by you. We can talk about it. and at this point I think to myself, why wasn't I eavesdropping on that what, conversation? What were they talking about? I don't know. Oh it's I been driving me oh. mad for days.
3: I thought you were going to say, and they said what it was. I didn't say. So
2: because I've adapted to the London way of life and I just pretend like I'm in my own little bubble, oblivious to everything that's going on around me, I missed out on a conversation that was either so lewd or graphic or disgusting in some way that a man was glaring at them. And that caused one of these two women start yelling at him?
3: I'm so annoyed with you. I
2: know. Why couldn't like,
3: you go? Sorry, I missed it. What were you talking about? I know, but
2: I wanted to. I wanted to so badly. I was thinking to myself, like previously when I have thought about time travel, I thought maybe i go and see the Sermon <laughs> on the Mount or signing of Magna Carta or the Beatles at Shea Stadium or whatever. Yeah. Now I just want to go back mm. to the minute before they started yelling at that man <laughs> to find out what it was they were talking yeah, about. Yeah, we all would. And then the next stop was my stop. So I was sort of hoping mm. that they were going to get off and I could eavesdrop on what they were saying then. <laughs> like maybe they'd get into it a bit more, but it didn't happen. So as I got off the train, mm. I looked at the woman who did the, je- uh, the yelling mm. and I tried to convey with my face that I was on her side, oh, like you, with a little smile.
3: That you'd be happy to hear any kind of lewd yeah, conversation. Yeah, like you you talk yeah. about
2: what you want. Mm, mm. You know, that guy, he's he's I'm not judgmental like him. Mm. I'm part of the solution, not the problem.
3: So, how did you convert again? You gave a little Well, this is the smile. trouble because
2: as we've talked about before on this podcast, I think that my face has a greater range of expressions than it actually does. <laughs> and and you have told me very kindly on a number of occasions mm. that that most of my expressions just look a bit creepy. <laughs> So I, I do thank you for that. So this is my worry. Kesha. So I gave her this sort of smile, like, yeah, you, you just, you just. Uh, do you want to j- give
3: it to me now, and I'll give you the creep rating? Yeah, okay, hang okay. on a second. <laughs> That's
2: quite
3: high. Sorry. Yeah, this yeah is, seven. This is my trouble. I've yeah. got a creepy smile, yeah, yeah. so I'm
2: now worried that what was <laughs> meant to be a friendly look of approval, sort of go girl, oh, would have been sort lead, of yeah, like interpreted as a sneer. Of some some kind. Oh. One of the, you know, we we talked in the past about, you know, you cringing about things that happened years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Just after um, uh, the eleventh September two thousand and one, like I was very conscious that people in the Muslim community were were being judged and, and blamed wrongly by a certain type of person. So I would kind of go out of my way to smile at members of the Muslim community when I was about out and about Mm-mm. in those sort of weeks and months after that. But um, with hindsight, I now worry that <laughs> my smile is sinister and it was misinterpreted in some way. Oh, dear. So, I mean, there's not much you can do about having a sinister <laughs> smile, is there?
3: Not much. I think maybe maybe don't do it is, is what I would recommend in that situation. It could be
2: doing more harm than good. Yes. Because I think like even if my dream did come true. Because mm. I've told you before that I'm I'm letting myself go at the moment to such an extent that I hope that my wife will nominate me to go on queer eye. Right, yeah. Um that's that's how I'm justifying the weight gain. Yeah. Um but I think even if I went on queer eye they wouldn't be able to correct my creepy <laughs> oh. They don't have an expert in <laughs> they don't. in that particular no.
0: Thing. computer sounds are awesome Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port Adrift
2: God it's hot in here isn't it it's it is really hot. hot we've opened hot. some windows so if you hear the noises of um, the the neighbours or whatever I, I do apologise um, also neighbours if you can hear this I apologise <laughs> if you can hear us uh, so we would love you to join in with the podcast if you haven't yet shared a story of your own uh, social failings then email us hello at adriftpodcast.com this
3: first one is from Jimmy I worked for a big call centre in the city centre of Glasgow. While working, I would have some random chats with the people around me to try and fill up the time until we could go home. I started to get to know my colleagues, but then I moved to another department. A couple of months later, I was exiting the office and I could see one of my former colleagues a couple of steps ahead of me, but I couldn't remember her name. I could remember random facts like her being allergic to strawberries or what she did for her art project at school, but I could not remember her name. I arrived at the traffic lights at a busy road, still thinking what her name could be. Was it Andrea? Was it Catherine? Megan? As I was busy with my own thoughts looking both ways, I accidentally made eye contact with his colleague. Now, normal, well-adjusted people would have had a conversation knowing they could fake it, knowing people don't usually start a conversation yelling, what is my name? (laughs) Or just give a nod of recognition while muttering a greeting like, all right. However, I'm neither normal or well adjusted. I am a drifter after all. (laughs) I cannot explain what happened next. And even though I played this moment in my head numerous times, my brain has not yet to offer an explanation. So I made eye contact with my colleague and then some fight or flight response took over. And I ran. I ran across one of the busy roads in my town without looking. I'm sure that cars honked their horns as I narrowly missed them. I didn't even stop running when I got to the other side. I ran three blocks and turned a corner, only stopping as as I was out of breath. However, once I returned to normal, I cringed at what this person thought of me, that I'm the type of person to risk his own life and run away than make small talk. Since then, Facebook has informed me not only of her name, but that she has actually left the business. If this incident contributed to her decision to leave, we will never know. Hoping that sharing the story will at least give some something to post about in the New Drifters Facebook group. Hopefully, getting the sympathy I crave. But I would like to remind my fellow drifters to look both ways before running away from awkward situations. Oh
2: man, that is just wonderful. I, I find very f- few things funnier than people running.
3: I'm sure we could have more stories on that. Yeah, people just yeah. running away, running away, than yeah. dealing with fight the or flight. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, this is from Kevin. The other day, I went to a coffee shop and ordered my caramel latte like I'd done many times before. No big deal. I told them my name and went and sat down. A few minutes later, they called my name, Kevin, and I walked up and got my coffee. As I'm walking away, a man at a nearby table stops me after hearing them call my name and asks me again what it was. I told him and he said, oh, I I thought they said Gavin." (laughs) Without without thinking, I replied, well, that's a stupid name. To which he, of course, said that's my name. Ugh. I immediately apologised and ran away as fast as possible.
2: <laughs> I hope really did run away. Gavin, yeah. like Kevin, but with a G. Yeah, Gavin. I've never come across a Gavin. No. A Gavin, ten a penny. Yeah,
3: not a Gavin. Gavin yeah. quite like it. Yeah. Okay, and this is from Andrew Evans and he's given us some quick fire inadequacies. Oh good. Yeah, yeah. He says, I wanted to share some more of my social failings. Oh yes, he um emailed in before about when he was at reception and the receptionist sort of did a pirouette type move oh, and he wanted yeah. to say something akin to, oh, watch Balletic Grace, and instead he just went ballet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. so he says i yeah. want to share more of my social failings but none of these stories quite seem to warrant an email in their own right yes i'm neurotic enough to, that I even worry that my stories in ineptitude won't be up to scratch <laughs> so here are some quick fire disasters that nevertheless still haunt me to this day Age five, I was caught in the, oh, we both moved out of each other's way, but in the same direction thing for the first time. And after three failed attempts, just stood still and burst into tears <laughs> as I could no longer see how it would ever be resolved. Once asked a one-armed tr- tr- trombonist, 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 trombonist. 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 Yeah. once asked a one-armed trombonist if he needed a hand setting up for a gig. Ooh. I was so paranoid that I would miss my turn to stand up and read in school assembly. I stood up too early to read my section about how delicious jam sandwiches are. When my actual turn came, I panicked, stood up and read the entire passage again. Exiting the co-op, I slid on a wet floor. Convinced I was going to fall spectacularly, I reached out and grabbed hold of a security barrier. This ham was also carrying a packet of crisps, which popped, showering the area with crisps. When the cashier asked if I was OK, all that came out was a tearful, i threw ruined my crisps. <laughs> <laughs> Having just vaguely learned what sex was from playground chatter, I was horrified to see the word in my first gerbil book that my mother and I were filling out together. Anxiety grew as that question approached. When my mother called out sex, I launched into an impassioned speech. Sex? What's sex? I don't know what that word is. Well, I don't know what sex is. That's weird. And I went into some detail about my girlfriend's fictional exploits in Germany when a hairdresser misheard me saying she was in uni as in Munich and I didn't want to correct
2: them. I love that. Oh, these are so good. Yeah, Uh, We could have a few more of those. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Any time that you find yourself crippled by a terrible memory, just put it in the notes section of your phone and then when you've got a few, send them to us. Uh, So please share your story. You can email us hello at adriftpodcast.com.
0: If you know where you're going, it doesn't matter if the location is going in that same direction because you're already making the move. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port are adrift.
2: Annabelle Emily Port. Yes. Uh, have you prepared a story? I have, yes. Um, what topic is the story? Well,
3: we're well, going back to the time in both our lives when we were doing a late night radio show. Mm hmm. I loved that show. Mm -hmm. I wasn't so keen on the hours. So the show was 10pm to Mm 1am. So my day looked a bit like this. I'd work from 5 in the evening to 1 in the morning, go to bed, get up 10 or 11, spend the next six hours in a fog of loneliness, (laughs) repeat. I mean, the only people I saw Monday to Thursday were pretty much you, our producer, and the security guard at work. (laughs) I just didn't know what to do with myself. All my friends had regular jobs, doing regular hours. And the Puritan in me just couldn 't have a nice time during the day now that I have no free time to myself. I realized now what an incredible luxury it was, But at the time, I just felt guilty if i wasn 't doing something worthwhile. so I joined a gym at one point, but i couldn 't do that every day, so I thought maybe i 'd do some volunteering now to be clear, this was not for any altruistic reasons. I thought it might make me happier. so I looked for volunteering opportunities online. And it was very hard to find anything suitable as I've not got any useful skills at all. Mm. And also I'm awkward around young people (laughs) and old people. And I suppose really all the other ones in the middle as well. But I did see one that I could probably have a go at because it was teaching English as a foreign language, which is great because I used to do that as a job. And it was on my local city farm. So I was briefly excited by the thought that there may be some goats from Switzerland on an exchange programme. And that'd be amazing to teach them. And then I worry that they're just going to want to know English words for different types of grass and geographical terms for mountainous rocks. And that's not a strong (laughs) area for me. There's nothing else I can do, though. So I apply. And there's a bit of to and fro where it emerges. They don't actually need an English teacher, but they do need someone to help with a group of people with special needs who are doing some kind of course at the farm now i 'm in no way equipped to deal with a group of people with special needs, but i 'm sure there 's going to be someone in charge there and i 'm sure it 's going to be really fulfilling, really fulfilling my need to feel like i 'm a great person <laughs> and also like the idea of trip um, of pigs trotting past me as I do great in the world, so I went, and it was really raining. But at least I'm inside at first in a porter cabin, although it's really hot and stuffy and someone's eating some really strong, smelling fast food. And everyone's pretty much ignoring me apart from one man who's discovered I work in radio and is trying to get me to get him a job there. Even though he's made it clear he'd prefer if I worked at Radio 1 or Capital. (laughs) And I don't remember much else about that first day, just that it was very hot inside, freezing outside, and there was mud everywhere inside and out. It was so wet and muddy, I was worried I was going to get trench foot again. (laughs) And I'd definitely forgotten that I'm not a farm kind of person. I I can't handle it if there's one drop of water on the floor at home. I would estimate I spend 40% of my life at home on my hands and knees with a wad of kitchen towel, retracing my boyfriend's footsteps and mopping up all the water that just seems to appear on the floor wherever he goes. It's like he leaks. So a farm, what was I thinking of? The following week, I went again. Once again, I remember very little, apart from it's really raining again. And I'm in some kind of gazebo this time with the group while they'll give talks about something. But the only thing that cheers me up is that the next week, there's a trip to the cinema planned. So I don't have to be on the muddy farm. I mean, it could be a Nazi propaganda film we're going to see and I'd still be <laughs> elated. So it's the following week and I'm due to meet everyone at the farm and then we're all going to travel there together. Now, I was a few minutes late. But Maybe five at the most. But that doesn't excuse the fact that as I arrive, I see the group off in the distance, leaving in the opposite direction. Like they could have waited a few minutes. And I definitely saw a couple of them look back and see me and then just keep going. i had been shunned by the group. They didn't want me to come. I find myself thinking, oh, if only I worked at Capital FM, then surely that guy would have waited for me. I could have chased after them, but I have some pride. And if I'm honest, I was thrilled that I had an excuse just to never go back again. <laughs> and I didn't. I did send an email, which I look back at today. I did a search and I, I saw what I wrote, which was that I was looking for a volunteer program that was a little more structured. <laughs> they never applied. Adrift
1: <laughs> Lloyd and Annabelle Port.
0: If you get close enough,
2: you can... Taste the freshness. I did a live show of the other podcast
1: last night. Oh, yeah.
2: Um, at a place called King's Place in London, which is beautiful. It's like this, it's this newly built venue where they have arts and um, discussions and all sorts on It's joined onto the Guardian's headquarters. Okay. And uh, it got me to thinking we should do a live show.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: Um, my worry is... What if nobody came to see it?
3: That's a big worry. Mm. Yeah. Um,
2: so I would love to hear from you if you listen to this. Like, where, where could we do it? Le- so you know, what if somebody, for example, is listening to this on Stornaway?
3: Mm. They're
2: probably the only person on Stornaway who who listens to the podcast.
3: We probably wouldn't do it there, would
2: we? And then they'd say to everybody else on Stornaway, "You have to come along and see the recording of this podcast." Mm. And what one of two things happens? Everyone says, "No, I'm not going to see that. I've never heard of it," or they trust the person who invited them and they come along and think, why would anybody want to come and see this? Mm. So I don't know if Stornoway sorry to pick on stornoway
3: No, it's it's nice to hear the word stornoway I, I quite like the group Stornaway. It's nice to yes, hear of it. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: Um so I I don't know. I mean, like we maybe maybe we should do another one in London to, you know, just to um dip our toes in the water. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe with a view to doing one somewhere else if anybody will have us. Okay. Um so if you if you you know if, it'd be good to gauge interest. Mm. So if you would enjoy uh a little um a little live recording of the podcast.
3: Imagine all those socially awkward people in a room together this is it, and this I'm is including it. us. I know I know I know. <laughs> wow. So
2: so when we when we finished the radio show we did a little live show, mm. uh, a small theatre attached to the the Roundhouse in London. It was like 130 people or something. And then we all went to the pub afterwards. Mm. And I think, you know, there was a lot of eye contact avoided, but by and large it was a successful interaction, Yeah, wasn't it? I think yeah. so, yeah. We could make name badges. That's a very good idea. We could bring conversation cards yes. so nobody had to think up small talk. Oh,
3: I'm feeling better already.
2: Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, well, let us know, you know, if you would be up for it, we'll see if we can arrange something but um maybe if you just wanted to email us and let us know where you are mm. and where we should come and do a show where you are yeah okay okay we'll see see how that goes mm. uh, hello at adriftpodcast.com and then the other thing to mention a little bit of a um, bit of business we were due to do the partners podcast on Sunday mm. but your lover tom mm. he um he he went to to new york
3: Oh yes. Yeah, no. He, so he couldn't do it, yeah.
2: So we're going to record it this coming Sunday, am I right? Yeah, I think
3: that? I yeah. think so. Like he has got to go away again, but yes, I but I think not till Monday, so I, oh. or Sunday night. I'll double check. Okay. It is all very last minute, you see. I see, Yeah, I but see. I know this isn't convenient.
2: He, but you know, yeah. I just I, I don't really care that much. It's just I want oh, to make okay. it, make it very clear that it's his fault not ours. Yes,
3: me too. Yeah. Me too.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that is something that only the Patreon subscribers will have access to. To um sarah and tom are going to answer your questions we need any need
3: questions. if we're doing it this weekend we need questions don't we yeah
2: so you're gonna you, the we the agreement we made was you were going to send out a message via patreon oh
3: god was it i never i don't remember that at all. all right okay i guess what, what i'll do is i'll confirm it's sunday and then i'm going to send that message out great okay
2: so uh if you do subscribe to patreon you'll receive that message in due course mm-hmm. if you don't um if you support our podcast uh, just um little bit of money every month if you enjoy listen to us every week and you can give us a bit of support you will get access to the various extra bits and pieces the next thing of which is going to be this partner's podcast so uh, go to patreon.com stroke adrift
0: now that you're listening it's happening do you know it do you like it when will you be here in the future i will be here in the future
1: adrift with jeff lloyd and annabelle port
2: on to this week's The Incident. Um, it's, it's about uh, a restaurant again, which it sort of was last week. And I'm worried that the listeners will think I'm some kind of bon vivant <laughs> who's just in restaurants all the time like Michael Winner, which isn't quite the case. Mm. But um, Saturday night, went out for dinner with my wife and our friend Lou. Who is Lou? If you used to listen to the radio show, she's Lou Sanders, who would cover for Annabelle from time to time if Annabelle was sick until she blurted out something quite obscene. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and then she wasn't allowed on the show live anymore. No. Um, so that's, that's who Lou is and after, yeah as per last week's episode I prided myself on a recommendation so I'd found this nice um you know, nothing fancy. It's a chain of Indian restaurants that have been around in London for 15 years that I think do a really good version of Indian street food. Mm. So we go to one of these places. Lou's not used to the menu. Um, I, not in a controlling way at all, say, oh, let me uh, let me tell you what's good. And I recommend something called puri, mm. which is one of my favourite dishes. Yeah. It's Indian street food starter. It's like puffed rice and, um, and like little bits of crispy stuff mixed in with crackers and tamarind and sometimes a bit of coriander over the top. And it's really... Really tangy and lovely, and like the if it's done well, the um, it's crunchy but with like a nice sort of sour tang to it. Yeah, I don't order that for myself, okay. Um, because I fancy something different. They bring Lou's food out, yeah. And honest to god, Annabelle, it looked like they'd just got a box of Rice Krispies <laughs> and emptied them out onto a plate. It was so dry, oh god, and it was this. And and I couldn't understand what was going on because I've been to this chain loads of times for years. It's yeah. one of the best things they do. Yeah. And I I'm losing my mind here because I feel like I've done a bad recommendation, even though I know it was really a good recommendation. They've just done a bad version of it. Yeah. So yeah. I'm thinking she thinks Jeff doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh God. But I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and but because it's not my food, it's not the stuff that's in front of me. Like it's weird for me to complain about somebody else's food.
3: Oh, it makes you look like oh, I I know about these things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but the waiter comes over and then asks the question, uh, "How is everything?" And I kind of make the mistake of saying, "I, th- I think the bell Purry is a-, a touch on the dry side." And you know, Sarah always says, "If you've got a complaint, don't say it to the waiter because the waiter's really got no control. They're not interested in what you think of the food, really." Um, ask ask for a manager. So, and and what she also says about me, I'm so obsessive about food mm. because. My alcoholism—it's like my little treat in a day, and uh, that I'm not in control of myself. So she thinks I have a lot of rage, but because. I'm, um, you know, not the sort of person to start shouting in a restaurant. I come across as somebody pretending to be nice with a lot of rage just oh, under the surface. God. So, so the guy goes and gets the manager, and the manager comes over, and I'm sort of saying, "Hi, I'd, look, I, we really love this belt. I mean, we come often, and it's one of your best dishes. Have you changed? Have you changed the recipe at all? It just seems like maybe it's not the same as it usually is. Perhaps oh. a bit dry. Um, I it's was also
3: an, a bit that I'm not. I'm going to speak about half of the. Ladies. I know, I know, I know, and I'm then the I start,
2: then I start bringing up another branch of the same restaurant, like, uh like, like I'm, you know, like the aficionado of all the different <laughs> branches, playing one against the other, and oh, I mean, it just. The guy was so nice and so friendly, and Aww. he's saying, well, you know, we have changed the recipe a little bit because some people who come in this branch, you know, it's a bit tangy and spicy for them, which then I think it's very clever the way he's done it because it's, like, almost flattering me saying, look, you're the guy with the superior palate. Yeah, you can handle You this. know how this should taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But these morons, these philistines <laughs> yes, we yes. get through the doors <laughs> here. I mean, basically, we have to serve them something that's like a plate of Rice Krispies. Mm-hmm. So... so so, in, in the end, like we go for this horrible compromise where I ask for some tamarind. Oh, God. Tamarind paste. Yeah. yeah. And then stir it into loose food for <laughs> her, which doesn't really do what it ought to. No, no. Um, so, I, I just think how do you complain really like I'm just not I feel I I feel like I'm a good complainer because I'm respectful Mm. but as Sarah says because of the rage I get quite unhinged Mm. quite quickly Mm. a while ago um, I had an altercation with our local pizza delivery place and I wrote them an email where my point was right and I was in the right but the email was so long I think it was like two and a half thousand words (laughs) That that I just looked unhinged. Yes. So what is the way to handle complaining? I find out in this week's The Incident. My friend Rebecca Payton is an actor, writer, force of nature and world-class complainer. What would you say has has been, I mean, there have been so many because you are... uh, I don't know if habitual is the right word, but you're a a dedicated complainer. If you had to think about your greatest complaining triumph, what would that be?
1: There were two incidents with British Airways. I think it goes in this order. The first incident involved a a trip with my seller at the time. I went out to Munich uh, to visit friends of mine, and it was the last flight on the Sunday night back. I was going back to drama school. He was going back to work. I was spending (laughs) a lot of his luck, right? I was standing at the counter in Munich and there was some issues. The queue was backed up and me and e. were right at the front. And um, one of the ground crew turned to the other one and said, I don't know why they, they use this plane. It never works. And I'm just like, ka-ching, right there, bang, you're done. Everyone's done. They are giving me stuff, right? Because that is not good enough. You are using a shoddy plane and everybody knows it. Mm. That is not okay. And the plane didn't work. We had to fly via Frankfurt in the morning that they had about two Hours sleep, so I was, you know, so I wrote a letter in ire and, and escalated it. You have to escalate everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know why I'm talking to you, I should be talking to your wife at the very least, maybe your parents. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous talking to you, you're just the um, you're not even the monkey. And I, um, so I made it, wrote a letter of complaint, ended up at the time of Bob Ailing's office, and we negotiated to I negotiated, but we negotiated because we were both involved in it two flights to anywhere in Europe, Euro Traveller tickets, I think, called at the time, right? Right then. Then luckily for me, both my grandparents died. And as you know, Jeff, death is a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, so my grandparents died within days of each other. It was awful. Um, it, it wasn't too bad for them, actually. They'd had a very long life and, you know, all of that. And they lived in the Channel Islands. Uh, don't think I'm rich. My grandfather was a vicar. They had they had nothing to piss in. And uh, so, they, so we, we went out as a family and stuff. And Ian, the same wonderful man I was with at the time, he, um, he came out for each funeral uh and on one occasion he missed his flight because they wouldn't let him get on it because he came a bit late from one of the wakes because my grandparents had different funerals because they didn't die close enough together and when i had to change my ticket because my grandfather i was in hospital for three nights because my grandfather refused to die basically he went on and on and on they were like we've oh, had this terrible stroke he's definitely gonna die he's definitely gonna die. He's definitely, not. It's definitely gonna happen i was like oh, for god's sake when is this gonna happen i've got to get on with things so i called the um airline British Airways, and said um listen, my grandfather isn't dying, so I can't fly home. And the guy on the end of the phone, and I was upset, okay? Yeah, I'm laughing yeah. about it now, but I was upset.
2: A tragedy and plus he, time.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I since then I've had some more exciting deaths, so these ones just, you know, they're pale slightly, but I <laughs> I I um, I uh, I said to the guy, my grand, my grandfather's died. 36 hours later, my, my grandfather's had this terrible stroke. He thought he'd be dead by now, but he's not, so I can't use my ticket. I need to move it. He didn't offer me any condolences, nothing, nothing at all. He didn't say, you're, okay, I hope you understand. I'm so sorry to hear that, but you'll have to bring the, we will change the ticket for free, but you'll have to bring your, the death certificate, copy the death certificate, all of that stuff, which is totally understandable. He was like totally brutal about it. Of course, I had Bob Ailing's assistant's number and I hadn't used the tickets yet. So I got on the phone to the person and said, hello and there was a pause and i thought oh, this poor person they probably thought that week was going to be all right <laughs> and um and i explained what had happened there's was dumb silence about ian missing his flight and this totally cold treatment and um they said what did i want and i said well what have you got and so they said "Well, we'll give you two world traveler tickets free tickets to anywhere in the world and i said and this is the top tip i yep. said this is all very emotional for me, and it was. My grandparents had just right, worried. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And someone was offering me two tickets to anywhere in the world for free, right? So I said, um, "Is it okay if I just take a few minutes? Can I call you back? I just need this is just like so much for me. Get off the phone. Save mm. my assistant. What do I do? On the one hand, Ian is the person whose flight was cancelled. On the other hand, it's my mother's parents, and my mother is a widow. I should take her away. We should do something. Mm-hmm. I need to get three tickets, really. And my assistant goes. That's not fair on your mum. Go over with two people together in a relationship. A
2: bit of gooseberry a gooseberry. Bit,
1: yeah. bit of a spare wheel situation there, yes. don't you think? I think you need four tickets to win in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so I phoned back and I said, my mother's a widow, but I'm my tiny violin.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, Mother's a widow. Uh, uh, my partner and I were pretty cold and vile, as you can imagine, because <laughs> you know me. It'd be awful for her to be on her own. She probably needs to bring a friend. Bingo. Four tickets to anywhere in the world. That's unbelievable. You have to be tenacious and you do have to be willing to be disliked. I think it's the key factor. You have to know what you want, you have to be willing to be disliked. And you also have to accept you're not always going to win. It's a negotiation. You won't always win, even if you're right. In a negotiation, you should go in with, say, ten things, right, that you say that you want, four of them you don't want at all, four of them you would really like and Mm. two of them you're having come hell or high water Mm -hmm. and that way the other party gets the chance not to be backed into a corner because if you back someone into a corner they will come out through you everybody and it's human nature unless Mm. you're dealing with you obviously in which case you'll capitulate and (laughs) apologise but I mean the rest of us come out fighting
0: With this vision, you might be ready for the next phase. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Porte, Adrift.
2: We mentioned at the beginning of this week's episode that we're recording in the evening. We usually record in the morning. Mm. I did wonder like, if um, we've shattered anybody's illusions. In what way? Like maybe people have thought it's a late night gathering usually or oh. it's a lunch. We have lunch. I mean,
3: Oh, I see. Like whatever you
2: might have imagined. Yeah. yeah, we've ruined a bit of the magic there. But oh. it's, it's usually sort of... Uh, tennis on a Monday morning and mm. here we are I look at my watch it's half past 8 on a Monday mm. evening at the moment and the reason we're recording late this week is I went to Ozzy Osbourne's house earlier on yeah
3: oh you went to his house yes then you went to his house yes no you didn't say that yeah
2: so I do a show for Sirius <laughs> XM Radio in the States the Beatles have their own channel over there. And I, I host a programme called Get Back, the Britons in uh, the, the Beatles in Britain, which is sort of stories from the place where it all began. And like, I'll go to Liverpool and, and record some stuff, uh, the Cavern Club, for example, or I'll be around London and do some stuff near Abbey Road. But then part of it also is I will get um, a, a famous, usually British fan of the Beatles to pick their four favourite songs. And we've had some amazing people on it, like Michael Palin. I got to go around his house and oh, do wow. it. And that was just a dream come true. And he was as lovely as you might imagine. And and today um, I went to Ozzy Osbourne's house. What was it like? Well, this is this is the interesting thing. So mm-hmm. I said to Sarah, what do you think Ozzy Osbourne's house is going to be like? She says, well, I want you to have a bath before you come anywhere near after <laughs> there Because she was under the impression. So I knew it was sort of a country pile. Right. But she was under the impression it might be a little, uh, you know, uh, faded. Have a faded charm. Right. A bit, bit grubby. Annabelle, it was like going to an aristocrat's house. You're kidding me. No, it was very interesting actually because I think a lot of these rock stars buy beautiful country piles, yeah. and then they're sort of dilapidated or tasteless. But it was so posh. The actual taste. The gardens were incredibly manicured. He's got a red phone box in his front garden, which oh. is that's a bit sort of red, a bit rock star-ish. Yeah. But then you look out the back, and it's these like beautiful. Country gardens, like immaculate wow. country gardens. And the house itself was somewhere between very high-end, very clean, not at all musty country house hotel. Yeah. Or where you would expect a very posh person who has a cleaner in every day to, to be. Wow. Yeah, it was this really so nice. really quite something. When when I walked in there, so his assistant showed us in and we were sort of shown through to a room where we were interviewing him. And Ozzy was having some kind of singing lesson when we arrived. Was he? So him? I could just hear him singing from another room, and a woman said to him, Okay, let's try that again. I
3: can't believe he's having singing lessons. No, one, no, that's amazing. I know,
2: I know. So, so that was good. And then he shuffled in, and like the first thing I noticed is this was was very, very sweet. He'd put on a Beatles T-shirt, especially. Oh, that's
3: really sweet. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah,
2: and you know, he was oh. absolutely exactly how you would imagine him to be. Okay, in other words, very sort of like uh, and enthusiastic, but fairly unintelligible. Okay. I was sitting in front of him, watching his mouth, and I was concentrating. And like, he was so good. He's got such a passion for the Beatles, which made made him a great interviewee. But bearing in mind, this is going to go go out on American radio. When they used to do the Osbournes on TV, I'm pretty sure they subtitled him. Oh God! I'm not sure if I should audio describe what he's saying. (laughs) I might have to. (laughs) It was um, it was quite something. I t- the one thing that was, well, I was trying to notice details for you, so I'll be able to come back and tell you about them. Uh, one thing I noticed was there was a, a couple of Jackie Collins books on the shelves. Oh, I'm so glad to hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other one was he had a bust of John Lennon because um, he talked about it in the interview and he said, oh, come and look at my bust. <laughs> and uh, so it went through into Again, like a really posh posh room mm. that, you know, looked very kind of high end apart from the fact there was a bust of John Lennon wow. in it, yeah. But I gave him, uh, gave him present. What did he give him? Gave him so I gave him some Beatles fridge magnets. I said, mm. have you got a fridge? He went, I think so. I
3: think so. But I don't think it's going to be the kind of fridge that you can <laughs> no, put no, magnets on. It's going to no. have like a, a, like a posh door I covering I so. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Oh. I also, like, uh, during the interview, I mentioned that he'd played, he'd featured on one of Ringo Starr's albums. And he said, did
3: I? Oh. <laughs> was he pleased with the magnets what did he say he said what are these he yeah I mean, the he web. did say what are these <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I don't know if like, he's lived such a rarefied life these past decades that he hasn't seen a fridge magnet or <laughs> he something.
3: doesn't even know if he's got a fridge <laughs> we,
2: um, we, we used to have a radio producer me and Pete in the early days of being at Virgin who also produced Gary Davis if you remember him mm. from Radio 1 in the 80s and Gary Davis I think you know was um, a wealthy guy to begin with who then became this radio superstar and all those 80s radio guys made a lot of money and then he married one of the richest women in Britain, a woman called Lisa Chenguez I think her name was, like an Iranian heiress. And he had a record label and all this various success. Anyway, the reason I mention this is our then producer also who worked on his show, like took a pot noodle into the studio one night and he'd never seen one and didn't know what it was and that like no. it was like it was an artifact from an alien no. civilization. Oh wow Yeah. Um anyway, so that was um that was Aussie Uh, What are we doing for time? I was going to tell you, I had a million dollar idea as well. Oh, please tell me. Listen to this. So, you know, sometimes when you go through x-ray security at the airport, whether they've got hand scanners, it's a hand scanner, but for sourdough bread. To tell you what? That there's not like big holes in the middle (laughs) of it. <laughs> you can buy that really expensive bread, yeah, yeah, and like be really caught out by it. Yeah, massive you never know, never yeah. know. You know, every slice has got a huge hole, so it would be a scanner that that lets you know that.
3: Yeah, yeah, do it.
0: Um, happy birthday for all of you who aren't listening, and those of you who are, you're in on the joke. Great, good work.
1: Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port a drift.
0: Thank you.
2: All right, on to Quandary Corner at the Glap Clinic in Problematic. It's the Knowledge College and Rules School. Is that all? I think so. Okay. Who's, uh, this is where we ask you for uh, a social situation you found yourself in. You need to know what the acceptable behaviour is. Well, we will tell you. Gordon says,
3: I was interested to hear Jeff kick off episode 42 by reminiscing about having to wait an extraordinary long time to be given the bill at a restaurant. This is a frequent experience of mine, and I've often considered writing in about it in the past. I rarely have a problem with ordering. And on on the rare occasions when my wife and I secure a babysitter, we normally find that our local restaurants have excellent service right up until bill time. Yes. Sadly, I'm notoriously impatient on these occasions, often having eaten too much food and being eager to either walk off the excess or retire to more comfortable seating, either at home or a nearby bar. I would never actually let this impatience manifest visibly, so I tend to sit there seething while my wife encourages me to either relax or go and ask for the bill. I invariably fail to follow up either of these sensible suggestions. The waiting staff will invariably be nowhere to be seen for about 40 minutes. I think 50 is the record. So my question to you is this. At what point is it acceptable just to leave because they clearly don't want the money I am patiently waiting to hand over? Thanks. And because we're talking about episode 42, so long. And thanks for all the fish. Mm -hmm. Regent Commander Gordon.
2: Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's never acceptable
3: to leave without paying yeah, yeah. well he brings up or his wife rather brings up a good point because this is something that my boyfriend is someone who gets very impatient like once he's mm. finished eating he wants to go mm-hmm. and he always wants to just get up and go and pay like and i i just i don't i don't think that's okay i think you have to wait for him to come over you do,
2: and the, like the the you know the the difficult because there's two sections isn't there one is the actual asking for the bill mm. uh, and then bringing it over it's, it's, so it's asking for the bill, waiting for them to bring it over, mm, mm. and then waiting for oh. them, them to come and like bring the card machine yeah, or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's 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 a minefield. I think um, the the trick is like there's nothing you can do about the first part. Okay. Apart from like as soon as your pudding goes, mm. you can say, "Oh, and could we get the bill straight away?" But then there's a difficulty in that because the people who like clear the plates away aren't always the waiters. There's, yeah. Are they called bus? I don't know if bus boys is a socially acceptable. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if yeah. that's what they call them anymore. But back waiters I think maybe is the thing. So you've right. got back waiters whose job isn't to be doing bills and, and whatever. And then you ask one of those and you can, if they say yeah, I'll just get my colleague, then you feel like a bad person for not knowing the hierarchy of the restaurant and who it's appropriate to ask and who it isn't. So you've got that aspect. But that's, that's Something I would recommend, like when the when they clear the plates from your pudding or, or whatever, you say, "Oh, um, if I could just get the bill straight away, that'd be great, please." Then when they bring the bill over, Mm-mm. sort of have the card ready to go. Oh,
3: that is great advice. Yeah. So then all the he- they can immediately go and get the card machine. Yes. Like, yeah. 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 That's yeah. that's my all the cash ready if you're
2: paying by cash. Yeah. yeah but that's yeah. its own hell as well, isn't it? Because if you've got to oh. wait for change, because sometimes like you that you wait for them to take the money for so long you you think oh do they just think that like this is all going to be a tip and yeah. do I look like a bad person if it isn't a tip and
3: they're sitting there waiting and oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. yeah it's best to pay. so pay by card yes have it ready when they come yeah and the rules so you're saying a firm rule you cannot get up and pay on your way out that's bad
2: <sighs> I mean you can't you, you can't do a runner which I think was the initial question
3: I think we all I think we can yeah. all agree on that yeah <laughs> I like it that Gordon suggested it, but yeah, I think yeah. even he knows he yeah, can't do yeah, that. Yeah.
2: Um, but I think it's so uncouth mm. to take your card. I mean, they think who is this rube if you take your card over to the waiter station? Right, and right. it seems like a very passive-aggressive thing to do as well. Yeah. which as my friend John Ronson always says is the best kind of aggressive. <laughs> but, but even, <laughs> even so, yeah, yeah. Um, I think like you look like it's, it looks like a hostile act. Mm. Um, I mean it's just ter- like there's so many things like this in a restaurant and I, my experience is the same of your as yours that it tends to be good until the food's been done with and and then they really let it and I think it's probably something to do with the time of the evening it is and people finishing the shift and other people going on breaks and and whatever but but you know there are there is that other situation where sometimes you can see your food on the pass.
3: Oh, is it from okay the to kitchen. go and get it? Yeah, 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 which I
2: think there's a Curb of Enthusiasm episode. There is, that. there yeah. is, yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and, you know, my wife has done that before now.
3: What about, and this is something also that my boyfriend does, so you're waiting for the bill and it's not coming... Is I know the answer. Is it okay to get up, get your things together, put your coat on and stand up and just stand and like like I'm leaving. Where are you? No, I not. No, no. <laughs> I told you I knew the answer. Yeah. I'm just having it confirmed for future. Yeah, no. He's, okay. You know,
2: he's, he's, he's got wrong. some very strange ideas about socially Rude. acceptable Rude. behavior this lover yeah. of yours. Rude. But yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess very deliberately looking as if you're about to do a runner. Mm. is a good way of getting the bill quickly. Yeah, But it also pegs you as the sort of person who really, you know, they they don't know that you're just doing it to get the bill. No, They just think you're the sort of person who would do a runner.
3: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think I've got that cleared yeah. up. Let's move on to the next one. This okay. is from Louisa. Mm. She says, my partner and I are expecting twins in October. Congratulations. Yay, she is carrying them and doing a great job of it. Early on, we, at my request, decided that we would not find out the sexes of the babies. I love the idea of the surprise on the day of the birth. My partner was indifferent, so I was happy to be persuaded. She is now totally on board with the decision and
2: excited and happy to wait. This is what we did because I thought, you know, the day of the birth, it might be a bit dull. This li- <laughs> us liven it up a bit. <laughs> Something to look forward to. At this point,
3: I should state that whilst I love the idea of waiting, I'm actually terribly impatient with surprises. As a child in the run up to birthdays and Christmases, a daily activity would be to rifle through my parents' drawers and cupboards and in any other hiding place in the hope of finding presents. On Christmas Eve, I would sneak down when everyone was in bed and unwrap a few presents, (laughs) then rewrap them. The 20-week scan is the normal time when many parents find out the sex of their baby. And I've downloaded a few pregnancy apps to my phone that, around this time, parents-to-be started posting pictures of the scan with an arrow pointing out the baby's genitals and in big writing stating, it's a boy or it's a girl. How embarrassing for the little one, I always think. I'd hate to have someone point an arrow at my genitals with a big sign. I've not heard of people doing that. No, it's a new one on me. Yeah. At our 20-week scan, we told the technician that we definitely, absolutely did not want them to know the sex. Mm. So she did the scans, did all the measurements, and it was all fine. Now, I'm sure that for most people, they can't differentiate, differentiate the black and white fuzz too well. The scanners are wobbly and they flitted in and out of body parts so quickly, it's difficult to say what is what. Unless the technician points things out, mm. which she did, we you know, here's twin one's umbilical cord, here's twin two's brain. As requested, she made no comment about their sexes and my partner lay there quite calmly. However, whilst no expert, I do feel quite experienced because of all the photos I've been seeing, pointing (laughs) out boys and girls' parts. So, while the technician was doing her thing, I concentrated really, really hard on the screen. I think I was breaking out into a sweat at one point to try and see if I could work out whether they are boys or girls. I'm pretty sure I did. I'm pretty sure I saw enough evidence to leave me believing we are going to have two baby girls. The dilemma is this. Do I come clean to my partner and tell her I think I saw and what I suspect? Or do I keep quiet in the knowledge that I'm no expert and I could be wrong? I created this monster all on my own.
2: You did. You did. I was I was talking sort of loosely around this subject today with my friend Dan, who is expecting twins. Oh, and We're talking about the scan. I don't mm. know if you remember. Did you find out Rudy's sex beforehand? No. You didn't know. So, um... There's a weird moment you have where you what are they call the people who do the scanner they right you assume that the default is we're not going to tell you the sex, yeah, but then you worry yeah that yeah. it isn't and they're just going to blurt it out. terrified yeah but. If you say, "Oh, we don't want to know the sex," mm. I worry mm. that it's insulting to them, and they might just go, "Well, of course I wouldn't. I'm professional." That's
3: happened to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: so, and and I do think on one of our scans, we went along, and I said, "Oh, just to let you know, I'm sure you wouldn't anyway, but we really uh, don't want to know the sex. So I just wanted to say that beforehand." And I think she got the ump with me for saying she it. She
3: shouldn't, because I have heard of it being blurted out by sonographers, consultants. Yeah, like, yeah, it it yeah, does yeah, happen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Anyway, so um, so th- there's a whole etiquette about whether to bring that up or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the... With... Sonographers. Sonographer, yeah. Sonographer. I think so. Yeah. Questioning myself now. Um,
3: To this problem, this this happened to me, ah. pretty much. So, my 20-week scan, I had a very normal thing where the baby wasn't in the right position, so I had to go for a long walk, come back an hour and a half later, by which time my boyfriend had to go back to work, so he wasn't there for, like, the proper looking at the baby's bits and everything. And the woman knew that we didn't want to find out. But as she was going through, pointing stuff out, like there was one bit where the baby was like sort of like hitting what looked like a ball. And I said, "Oh, what's that?" And she went, "Oh, that's I'm just going to move um, over to here." So I thought, "Oh, it must, it's a boy then, isn't it?" Like it was playing with its bits. Like I couldn't I couldn't think of any other alternative. But I never knew for sure. But as it was, it was a boy. Wow. But I but I, I, I thought to myself, do I say to Tom what mm. happened? But I didn't, I never told him.
2: Yeah, that would be my instinct. I think it's the same as, you know, I think we've talked before, if you have a TV show, like, for example, you're watching Game of Thrones, Mm. but your partner is out on the night it's on and then you sneak a watch. Mm -mm. You then have to just pretend when you watch it together.
3: I wouldn't do that.
2: You could, you look at me. You look so disgusted that yeah, I wouldn't do that. Because it's a joint TV show. It's a shared. I'd experience. say, oh, I've have seen it. You
3: you have to watch it while I'm out. But now. it's a
2: th- it's a thing that you do. A joint experience that you it's have just together. W- just one episode. I t- I wouldn't do well with that at all. Uh,
3: to be honest, I, w- I wouldn't watch it without that. But if I did, I wouldn't watch it again.
2: <laughs> No, I think, but but then you're breaking the rule mm-hmm. because that's that's a sacred thing in a relationship that you have your shows that you watch together.
3: So what are you saying? You're saying that she should or shouldn't no, do that. No, so her? I'm saying yeah. that,
2: like, firstly, you probably don't know what you're talking about with the greatest respect.
3: <laughs> the greatest respect. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. No,
2: but I mean, you. Th- I, I think it's not as easy as you perhaps think it is. Yeah, yeah. Prove me wrong in October or November. But secondly, like, you've... you've ruin something for yourself
3: you were the one who didn't want to know (laughs)
2: yeah yeah so I think like you just have to pretend yeah because you know what it what it, what it isn't? It's not that you know. It's not like you've looked at a piece of paper and it said female female on it. Mm, mm, mm. You've got a strong hunch mm. based on your layman's understanding yeah, yeah. of an ultrasound scan. Yeah, yeah, that it's it's two girls, but it's quite possibly not. So it'll still be it'll be a nice surprise to you if it is, mm, mm. because you're like, oh my god, I'm really good at ultrasound yeah. <laughs> with <laughs> yeah. no professional training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if it isn't, who cares anyway? And and you are the one who brought this on yourself, because you know you you suggested to your partner let's keep it as a surprise I wonder if the partner listens to the podcast I hope not yeah I mean I usually hope people do listen
1: to the podcast on this occasion
2: yeah Um, so I think I mean have we covered everything there I think so yeah if you would like to know what your behaviour should be in any given situation then you can email us hello at adriftpodcast.com And that was our podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks as ever to the brilliant Man and the Echo for the backing music and to Emily Harrison for the incidental music during the incident. And advice this week came from my wonderful friend, Rebecca Payton, who is a really special person. Um, She's done so much brilliant work over the years and it's sort of difficult to pin her down in a way, but lots of stuff about you know the, the, the very stuff of life and death. And I recommend that. that to, to keep tabs on what she's up to, because um, she is a bit of a polymath, you should look her up on social media. You can find her on Twitter, at Rebecca Payton. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox are our announcers and made our eye dense. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided technical support Kim Rainey made our artwork, and Carla Gowlett took the photos. We would love to hear from you. Uh, We'd love to hear um, if you think that we could come and do a live show near you. uh, Where would that be? Tell us about that. We also, as ever, want your stories of failed human interaction, please. And um, in addition to that, if you have a social situation you have found or find yourself in, and you need to know what the correct, approved behaviour is, uh, then we can help you with that too the email address for all these things is hello at adriftpodcast.com and uh, I got to go now because um I've ruined my crisps
0: adrift adrift.
2: On the podications and we've we full on opened the door here to the Juliet balcony.
3: Yeah, I've got a lovely breeze now. It's so hopeful.
2: Do you like my Juliet balcony? Oh,
3: <laughs> you're so happy saying Juliet balcony. Yeah. I love your Juliet balcony. I think
2: the listeners must be thinking,
3: what a life he leads. I'm deleting my Patreon donation. He's <laughs> but He's got a Juliet balcony. <laughs> think of me, everyone. <laughs>
2: I don't have a Juliet balcony. Uh, um, okay, this comes from Rob Gillick who says, hello, Jeff and Annabelle. Hello. Oh, please could I request a publication to fellow drifter A.D. Barker for his big birthday mm. on the 1st of July. To celebrate his birthday with a zero at the end, we are going to be doing the Cotswold Way Challenge, a 100-kilometre stroll. Oh, my God, do you think it's his 100th birthday? <laughs> oh, it's his 10th. Um, I'm making light of a very diff- difficult challenge. Um Across the Cotswolds, over thirty-six hours straight through. Wow, that is very long. What, you what do- about sleeping?
3: That's the bit I don't understand. I guess you just don't do it. But wouldn't you just
2: collapse?
3: Yeah, I'm a bit worried about them now.
2: Me too. Hmm. I think this is a foolish thing to do. <laughs> Poor Adi. Yeah. Will he see it past this birthday? Well, he's a
3: hundredth birthday as well. Yeah.
2: Um. I thought a mention from the two of you would help push us on through the night. Now they're going through. Oh, the wow, night. they really are. So, so this would be—you'd start walking, say eight o'clock one morning, yeah—and you wouldn't finish until eight o'clock, 8 o'clock the next the evening. E- next the
3: evening, yeah. That is extraordinary.
2: God, are they? T- what, I mean, what? You're, what what are the drugs that they take in the nightclubs that would keep them keep them awake for that kind of thing? I don't
3: know, some kind of vitamin. I yeah. don't know.
2: Don't don't do that. No, I no, don't. don't. Why did you bring it up? <laughs> I'm worried about. I mean, what what are they going to be on? they high, have, high they'll, spirits. They'll
3: uh, maybe they'll have coffee. Joy of life. What's that thing? Pro Kendall, Kendall Mint Cake. Kendall
2: Mint Cake. Wow. Um, Ad is walking to raise money for the charity Tommies. Oh, lovely! Congratulations! That is a great charity. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Rob doesn't mention uh, any any charitable act on He's his. He's doing part. it for fun. Yeah. <laughs> um Thanks in advance. Keep up the average work. Rob, title penguin, uh, title penguin, title pending. Oh, he it, it
3: has it has since been um, anointed. No, what's the word?
2: He's been appointed. appointed. It's been bestowed. Bestowed. Yeah. yeah. What I've written there? What is I see it? Have, uh, distinguished commander Rob Killick.
3: Yeah, as you can see, really, uh, <laughs> really mixing up with the titles now. <laughs>
2: Have you uh, have you have you looked to other countries?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, you have, yeah. Uh, and other time periods, yeah. Days of the and Raj. fiction,
2: anything from Days of the Raj, yeah. Actually,
3: maybe I don't have anything the Days there of the Raj. You go. Okay, I'll move on to that a next viceroy. In
1: there. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's
2: that's next
3: on the list. Great.
2: <laughs> a maharaja. Yes. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to do those ones. Oh, um, <laughs> it's all got to get merchant ivory for. a bit, Oh, isn't I can't it, wait. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sam Cunningham is the other publication this week who says hi, Jeff and Annabelle. Hi. hi. I hope you're both doing well. It's uh, great to have been listening to you again over the last year. I listened to you on the radio way back about 10 years ago, sitting up late, getting coursework done for my GCSEs. Thank you for your company back then. Did love, as Annabelle said before, love that old late night radio. Mm. I'm doing a bit of late night radio soon. Great. I'm going to be on radio too. Oh, nice. I'm trying to think. So not. So this will come out on Wednesday. Mm. So not tomorrow, not Thursday, but yeah. the following Thursday night into Friday morning. I'm mumbling around midnight for all the truckers out there. <laughs> <laughs> so and Nicey used to say. Right. And then like the following Sunday into Monday, doing it again. I think. Yeah. So it'll be weird being back on late night radio yeah. after all this time without you. Be nice. I, I mean, seen... not without me, but you know, be nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I, if If it was with you, we could have brought back Drunk versus Stone. Oh right,
3: I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, I'm busy. Busy those <laughs> nights.
2: <laughs> um. we go. I've been meaning to write into you for a while, as I can be a very awkward, overthinking human being. Well, that's probably what comes from listening to us while you're doing your GCSEs. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tainted Um, you. Yeah. But nothing's really stuck out for now, so I'd like to write in a podication for my friend Drew, the only fellow drifter I know. Mm. Um, His wedding anniversary is coming up on the 28th of June, and I'd love to wish him and his husband, Paddy, a very happy congratulations on one year.
3: Oh, congrats.
2: Um This will also test as to whether he listens to the very end. Yeah, we're always sending each other single word messages to acknowledge that we've just listened to the latest episode with lines such as unlucky (laughs) and he was a bear (laughs) (laughs) and just having a look uh, to name a few of our favourites. I should hope we'll be in touch soon with our own awkward stories once they've been unblocked this is it you know a lot of people repress these mm. memories uh, but for now happy one year anniversary to Drew and Paddy well done first year of marriage mm. it was nice for me <laughs> <laughs> you, why have you, you gone quiet you hear the wind blowing <laughs> in <there? laughs> um, thanks very much Jeff and Annabelle all the best Sam well firstly Sam it is good to have you back it's also good that you know somebody else who listens to it. That's yeah, it's a great sign. Yeah, so maybe, you know, you should let us know whereabouts you two are, and that's where we could bring a live show. Yeah. I mean We're doing better there than in many do. other places, definitely aren't we? too, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, happy anniversary. I hope it's. Uh, I hope it's been a good year. Yeah. I hope you're still... I mean, do you think you're newlyweds up to the end of the first year? Yeah, definitely. So you're not newlyweds. You won't um, be newlyweds anymore. You're Moving into, you know, as, as I always say, the way to think about marriage is like a lovely rut <laughs> with a nice cosy rut with high sides mm. on either side. Mm. Like lovely, cosy, a lot of effort to climb out of a rut oh, once you're in it. Just yeah. stay in that rut. Mm. Um, so there we go. Latest edition of the podcast, uh, podicated from Sam to Paddy and Drew and uh, to um, uh, from Distinguished Commander Rob Killick to adi barker happy 100th birthday if you'd like a publication email hello at adriftpodcast.com